0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Performance at Preston North End Football Club and founder of ColourFit, Tom Little. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode has been a long time coming because over the last three, four, five years, myself and Tom have become good friends, and thankfully, Tom was around doing his research pre my undergraduate degree because I used slash abused a lot of his uh, a lot of his research for his PhD for my undergraduate uh, research project. So, as we discuss in this episode, I thank Tom, um, and I really appreciate his work back in his PhD days, but from then, since then, Tom's had an incredible career working at Birmingham City, Huddersfield Town, Sheffield Wednesday, etc., etc., and is now at Preston North End. So in this episode, we discuss weekly periodization strategies, skill-based conditioning, and then finish off with a chat around ColorFit, which is Tom's, uh, which is a business that Tom founded, um, and we. Discuss everything from where that where that came from, um, what the problems were that made him go down this route, and potential future aims and objectives for Colorfit and what they plan to do in the future. So, really, really interesting uh, guest to have on. In Tom, incredible experience, and uh, really interesting to see the direction he's going in with Colorfit as well. So, it'll be an episode I'm sure you'll absolutely love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU-STEP from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimise return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureu. So without further ado, over to the episode with Tom Little. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast this evening. I am delighted to welcome Head of Performance at Preston North End and founder of ColourFit, Tom Little. So welcome to the
1: podcast, mate. Hey, Rob. Thanks very much for having me on, pal. The years of uh, constantly holding you has finally paid off.
0: (laughs) Hey, I was going to say this when we chatted before press record, but I'm I'm constantly in your debt, given how much of your research I you I was going to say used, but potentially copied. For my undergrad, for my undergrad dissertation. So thank you very much. I'm forever in your debt. So don't worry about that. You're the one, you? Yeah. I wondered if it was. It went not through me. turn in. It went through turn in absolutely fine. So it was.
1: <laughs> like I say, not many daft enough to plagiarise my work. <laughs> but no, no for all the opening side, mate, I am absolutely, I'm delighted to be on. I'm a uber fan of this show, which had a massive effect on my career, not only from like a knowledge point of view, but also from a motivational point of view for the kind of SNC industry because the, the guests are so credible and so good at what they do. So, uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for the for you for the podcast and all the guests, and uh, hopefully I can contribute a bit today.
0: Absolutely, thank you very much for that. Um, that wasn't pre-planned; that was that was off the cuff. So, thanks, mate. <laughs> Appreciate that. Anyone that doesn't know who you are, traditional podcast style, um, just gives a bit of background on what you've done pre-Preston, uh, and we'll get into a we'll get into the colour fit chat a little bit later. But a bit of a, an overview of that would be great as well. Education, etc.
1: To normal start, mate, I did my uh, undergraduate degree and I came out of that kind of bright eye with my first ready to take on the world, but I didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. I didn't really know a strength and conditioning as an industry, so to speak. I was just incredibly lucky. I saw an advertisement for a job and it said to work with uh, athletes part-time, and as it turned out, he's working for a guy called Ed Baranofsky, who had a company called New Life Fitness, and they pretty much had the monopoly on kind of fitness training for football. So we had loads of clubs, especially in the North, like Man City, Leeds were in the Champions League semi-final at the time, Bolton, Wigan, Forest. Um, So I was lucky enough to get a start with them. Um, Really brilliant start because I had very little responsibility. I was very wet behind the ears. I just had to do what Ed told me to do. Became a world leading expert in putting down cones and picking them up. But it was a great grounding in terms of I just get I got to saw so many different practices with different coaches in different clubs, different levels in environments, different age groups, and got to meet a lot of different players as well. So it's a fantastic grounding. And then again, another stroke of luck came my way because Ed got approached by the Prince Naseem camp and they wanted him to oversee all their boxers. So he was looking for someone to take over the football, and he chose me to do that. And for that to happen, he invested in my development heavily. So I got kind of tooled up on the practical side. So he sent me to America to a couple of times, and I trained at what is now kind of Exos as an athlete. Um, I met loads of people like Vern Gambetta, Gary Gray, Mel Siff. Went on all the courses, so CSES, Baller. In my UK SEA, and from that I kind of took on the mantle of doing all the programming for all the teams that were going on. Like a buffoon, I decided to do my master's degree at the same time, so that was an absolute year from hell. But got through that, and then after that finished, I was kind of wanted to go down the lines of becoming a bit of a guru, so to speak, in uh, um, skill-based conditioning because I thought that's how the industry is going to go. And again, another <laughs> stroke of luck at the time, uh, Nottingham Forest were asking me to go full-time with them. So I bargained with them, would they let me prod and pro players to do my PhD? And they agreed, and then I had three fantastic years there. And ever since then, really, I've just banded around uh, different clubs in English football, being a fitness coach or a head of performance, been extremely fortunate to work with some great clubs, racked up over a thousand games under my belt and six promotions, been some tough times in there too, fighting against relegation. And now I'm in my seventh year as head of performance at Preston North End, absolutely amazing place to work. And I'm also the founder of a nutrition company called Colourfit. What makes Preston so amazing?
0: Because it's it's not many times, and not, not to say that people don't think this about the place of uh, employment, but there's not many people who have said the place I work is absolutely amazing. So what makes it amazing up there?
1: There's lots of things. First of all, you've got the staff. They're all so diligent and just great people. We have quite a small staff as well, so we're a tight-knit community. All feel very responsible for the jobs that we're doing and accountable, so that's one. Um, The people working around the club, they're generally supportive. We work within a very budget-minded structure, but if we really want something and we can put up a good case for it, they'll support us as best we can. But the main thing I have to say is the players. The players are just such a joy to work with. And there's things with big clubs, you get big players and that's great because it's easier to win and they're so talented. We're a club where we have to get them in and develop them. So all our players are kind of from League One, from Ireland, quite a lot of them, from Scottish Leagues. And they know if we're going to progress to where we want to go, i.e. the Premier League, they're going to have to become better players considering where they've come from. And that just makes the job so much easier in terms of their buy-in, their motivation to actually get better and put everything that you're trying to do into practice. Because it's not the it's the attitude of the players that makes the session. So you could go in with the best written down program in the world, but the, the your athletes are and trying and, uh, to accomplish that at the best of their ability. There's no point to a bad programme done well will always out be a really good programme done poorly. And we've got that. We stick to simple foundations. And the lads, like I say, it's just a pleasure to work with. Has there been any
0: scenarios where you've the club's been set on a player, maybe a player that's got a bit more of a maybe Premier League experience and has dropped down and hasn't, hasn't fit in? I'm guessing with that, you've just described with that, that culture of the kind of um, up-and-coming player, developing player, having someone experienced who's almost been there and done it, might not fit in and be a bit of a problem with that that kind of group? Has that kind of thing happened over the last nine years at any point?
1: I know what you're fishing for here because we
0: I'm, not, I'm about a player that I hate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but let's focus on the positives. You do get a mix. Absolutely. Right? You, you get a mix, so you will get some that come down and they're coming down because they've got the talent. But not the attitude, and that's why they're not they are actually coming down. And money, particularly in the championship, can be a bit of a curse at time because you will go, you'll gamble on those type of players that you know have got the talent, but they've not quite got the aptitude to do it. But if you get one too many of them, your squad, it can be toxic. And there are examples out there in the, the championship at the moment. But you also get a lot of people that are coming down because of their age a little bit more and they're vastly experienced. And those sort of the players, in my experience, are generally very good for the squad because, one, they're established players, so people take them credibly. They tend to take their preparation more seriously because their natural physical um, attributes are declining and they're a little bit more injury-prone, so the prep and everything they do is just a little bit more precise and they have the knowledge and experience to back that up as well. And, yeah, and people will listen to them because of where they've been as well. So generally my experience is with an older player coming down, they tend to be a really good uh, example and leader for the team.
0: I wasn't, I was trying not to fish then. I do remember a conversation, I can't actually remember the player we spoke about, but definitely focusing on the positives is a good way to go. In terms of your role as head of performance, I'm guessing them kind of players do help you do your job, them them players that do have the, the kind of positive um experiences and that can that can filter through the squad and that probably makes your life a lot easier as as a head of department as well.
1: Yeah, very much so. As I was describing there, it just relates back to that, really. But we've got a couple of players at Preston. We've got Paul Gallagher, and then we've got David Nugent. They're fantastic examples. They, more than most other lads, will be in early doing their prep work. Diets are second to none. And it has a huge effect when people see those players that played internationally, played in the Premier League. It's easy to buy into what they do. So people like that have been a very good influence on, on on the things that I'm trying to say and promote.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned skill-based conditioning was the thing that you wanted to become known for. What did that What did that mean to you at the time? And has that the meaning of skill-based conditioning changed along the way, or is it still what you thought back then pre PhD? <sighs>
1: Um, I think it's pretty much still the same. The, the kind of the father's football fitness were very much preaching skill based conditioning as I was coming through and just kind of doing my master's. So Yangs Bangsbo did his seminal work in around 1994. So he had his PhD and he had his football fitness book, which I pretty much are the main element of what I do to this day. Uh, and he was very much promoting doing your conditioning within a skill-based framework. Paul Balsam had also released some stuff through Polar on three sides as well, and how you can influence those in different manners to get the kind of intensity and the uh, structure of physical training that you wanted. And I was just experiencing it when I was doing it myself. The players were just so more, more, more motivated to do that type of work. And it's it's fairly ubiquitous now i think if you look across all certainly in football but all kind of skill-based field-based sports virtually all of them are using the majority of their physical training through skill-based conditioning and with very good reason as well number one in sports like that you've got to be super efficient in what you're doing so We've got to work on all the physical qualities, so all the biomotor abilities, so speed, strength, stamina, agility, acceleration, and flexibility. They've got to be injury-robust. They've got to work on culture. You've got to work on all the multiple tactical and te- technical elements that are going on. And then in between all that, you've got to fit in 50-odd games a season, so... Where you can be efficient with your training load, you've really got to do it in sports. Like I say, that are field-based, endurance-based, but have these over, overlay of uh, skills running through them. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, we want to promote physical qualities as much as possible. And the game at the top level is does have uh, better physical capacities and the game in modern times people are faster run further at high intensity the tackling harder but really the core of what is important still relates to skills and tactics and decision making so if you can work on those elements as much as possible that's going to be very key in terms of your success so you want to maximise that time as much as possible. So again, if you can do your physical training within a skill and a tactical framework, that's going to be super important. I mentioned before the motivational side of it, which is not so important maybe in the short term if you're not there for that long. But if you're there for years and years, the motivation of your squad and them how they approach their physical training, that's going to be absolutely key. So it's really important. And then the final cherry on the top is you've got, you're developing very sport-specific qualities. So if you do it within a kind of specific framework, which skill-based conditioning is, you're going to be working on things that are important multiple physical qualities at the same time so intermittent endurance agility acceleration high speed you're working on all these things all at the same time so it's specific training and it's also efficient training as well so i think it is really important from from those frameworks
0: do you ever use non skill-based conditioning
1: is there a time for that at preston for me without a shadow of a doubt i i definitely think that you do need some level of running there's a number of reasons why you could say some uh, running based conditioning is more important number one you can have greater control on the intensity so uh, even though you can have parameters the numbers the pitch size the rules to try and affect your intensity it's harder co- to control with skill-based conditioning with intensity It's really easy to do so you can get them working within a specified distance or time or vice versa. It's easier to use your monitoring tools to carefully select the intensity. Within a game, people can hide if they really want, unless it's something like a 2v2 or a super intense game. And some people's role within that game, say you're a holding midfielder, It might be important that they're not training as hard as the the rest of the people within that session. So it's really hard to get that really uniform and tightly controlled intensity. And intensity is probably the most uh, dominant factor when you're training physical qualities as well. I also think you can use running as a form of testing as well. So you can very simply look how far they go in within a certain time or vice versa. You can look at things like heart rate response to a submaximal running test. I also really like to use running to set cultural standards, to actually say if you don't make this time or distance, it's completely unacceptable. And again, you can't really do that with skill-based conditioning. So we will have certain drills where I'm saying if you're not reaching this level, within this group, it's not going to be acceptable. There's going to be consequences. And I think it just sets the mental tone. By far and away, most of the time, people can achieve it. It's their mentality of wanting to achieve it. So if you set that bottom end, it sets everyone on a certain key that really elevates the whole squad. Because I found your your dropout, your worst result, is the most significant factor on how everyone else responds to things like whatever it may be, strength training, endurance training. So I think it's really important on that respect. The other thing with running, it's far more easy to set up a session. So when you're doing skill-based conditioning, there's a lot of considerations that can make it complex and quite hard to do. So things like the number of players, number of keepers, equipment, all going to have a significant effect on the type of drills that you can use. So, the number of players you've got for example it has to be a divisory number for the type of drill that you want to do how many groups you're going to get in total from that number is going to affect how many teams you, you've got and if you're doing say for example let's keep it simple say you had four groups but you only had two keepers so two teams are going to play a small-sided side of game keepers and the other two teams are going to do a possession you're going to want all those teams to do equal amount of each drill. That's going to set up how many reps you've got to do within that structure, which is going to then affect your duration of your reps and your rest and things like that. So it can be quite complex. So, for example, in that scenario that I set up there, if you had four teams doing two different drills, you'd have to set up repetitions of um, six in order for everyone to do the same. So you'd have to work out what's the optimum overall structure divided by six and that gives you your rep time. So already it's starting to sound quite complex and that's before you really consider what is truly important and, and that's having a good knowledge of the technical and tactical outcomes of a drill because if you're going to go to a coach and suggest changes based on you want a different intensity, you have to know what the technical outcomes are desired by that coach if you're going to suggest a different drill and perhaps relate the new drill to those technical and tactical points. So you also have to immerse yourself in the coaching elements of each drill as well. So using skill-based conditioning, although it's super attractive, it's quite a difficult art to do really well.
0: Is there any tools that you use to be able to Try and predict what outcomes you're going to get from certain skill based drills?
1: Yeah, so. Or do you use intuition? Okay. There's a bit of everything. So you you definitely have to use your intuition a lot of the time because coaches might do new rules, new pitch sizes, and things like that. So you have to know the general patterns of what's going to happen based on. Uh, changes in parameters we have kind of a i first started with a table so i just separated lots of different drills and number parameters within them drills into different energy systems so i'd have this table and i'd know if i want to work on with a different energy system given my periodization structure these kind of drills are going to be appropriate and over time i built that into a computer software that was called soccer smart and that you put the number of players what kind of technical technical and tactical elements you wanted to work on what skill element you wanted to work on and it just spat out all the appropriate drills and appropriate structures for what you put in so that was super helpful and you can design that yourself either within excel using kind of filtering systems or you can design tables to do that so it doesn't have to be as complex there's a computer program and there's lots of people that have formed predictive um, loading tools so you can look at your gps uh, parameters for a given drill and then you can if you want to go to a high level you can have that on an individual level our predictive load tool just looks at an average level and if we if we from the coaching meeting if we know what drills they're going to use and a rough structure with that, we can input that into our Excel system and it'll churn out the predicted GPS uh, structures and then we can change them and then maybe go back and suggest different structures for what they've said if it doesn't lie within the parameters that we think are suitable for that training session.
0: So this is a very good time to move on to chatting a lot around the weekly periodization strategies have we've um, we've kind of touched on a lot of that already but how does the the skill based conditioning fit into them uh into them strategies from a, a weekly periodization point of view
1: yeah i've looked into weekly periodization a lot and i think the most important thing to say with this and the main factor to take with it is that there's no real holy grail when it comes to weekly periodization, i.e., what is the optimum structure to use? And there's kind of evidence for this all around. If you look at all the people that have been successful within football, within all the different sports as well, they're using widely different periodization strategies and overall philosophies to their training. The one that I kind of like to look at because it's a really funny. Uh, video on Twitter is a comparison between uh, Pep Guardiola and Neil Warnock. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, it's good. good. And it's pointed out to be derogatory towards Neil Warnock. But I think if you dismiss Neil Warnock, you're an absolute fool because no one has been promoted more times in British history than Neil Warnock. He got, very recently, he got QPR to the Premier League. He got a very unfancied Cardiff team to the Premier League and almost kept them there. So you can't dismiss his methodologies of how he does things. And it just emphasises, for me, there's multiple ways of doing that. And I think what you've got to take into consideration is lots of things. So what is going to be optimum for you is going to be dependent massively on your massive manager's philosophy on the club's philosophy, on the attributes of the squad that you've got, even the, the league that you're playing in. So the competitive kind of fixtures and structures of that lead are going to affect the kind of philosophy that you're typically going to put into your week. Um, but I think there are clues around us of, of how we can time them optimize the week so we can take some clues from around physiology and fitness fatigue models and super compensation and things like that and I think it's a fairly accepted uh, wisdom now that we know that around 48 hours before and leading up to a game that we can't really train that hard or provide a true overload so we could train intensely or we could train with some volume, but we can't do both and, and apply a big overload because of factors relating to fatigue. So. From the game, you don't want to be training too hard, more relating to um, injury risk, but also you're going to hamper the recovery process and that 48-hour w- window leading up to a game. Again, you don't want to be encountering fatigue that is going to hamper your maximum performance levels when it comes to game day. So what that leaves us with is kind of this two-day two window on that day minus four and match day minus three say for example you're just going on a Saturday to a Saturday game where there is an opportunity to train our players harder and apply an overload you certainly don't have to do that now I know we mentioned John Goodman in the chat we're having before we started and I remember John always saying he had a really successful Reading team and they very rarely trained above 85 percent of their maximum heart rate and they were extremely successful they concentrated on other things like set pieces and tactics and organization. So you don't have to train hard and be successful. But I think the weight of evidence now is pointing towards using some kind of overload within that uh, window midweek. And what it provides us with, it allows us to increase our performance potential. So potentially our players can go out and, and train to a high level. It hopefully makes them more injury robust and provides them with that bandwidth, which I think is a really good terminology that's doing the rounds at the moment in terms of making sure our players can go into uncomfortable areas or uh, congested fixtures, and they've just got that capacity to deal with those loads. So there's, within that window of overloading, you see different things of how people apply it. You see different on what they're doing and when they're doing it so first of all what they're doing my approach is to approach it from an energy system point of view so things like vo2 max lactate threshold uh, anaerobic capacity and the reason i approach it in that manner is that there's clear research showing optimum structures when you you're targeting energy systems so if i'm working on something i know the pretty much what type of structure to throw at that to get optimum physiological adaptations. Tactical periodization has come along and that approaches it more from a football framework. So you're overloading certain parameters, but from a football point of view, so you've either got kind of a small-sided day or turn strength day where you're overloading um, your expose, your skill exposures, and you're overloading things like acceleration and deceleration and contacts. And then you've got your larger sided day or your resisted day, and that's more kind of match specific overload. So bigger areas, more tactical, more exposure to high intensity distance. I think similar to that as well. Some people are approaching it from a worst case scenario point of view, so it's similar to your large sided day, but you're, you have kind of precise parameters that you're trying to achieve or be over um, and generally they're very kind of match specific um, and it's very popular within rugby there's people like um, Bielsa and I think Klopp uh, are quite prominent with this type of training, the term murder ball, where you just emphasizing a super high press and there's quick rotations of play. And you can see that a lot of people are having success with that. I don't know if you caught Japan in the World Cup, in the Rugby World Cup, but I think they have a worst-case scenario for 80 minutes. It's really (laughs) incredible what they can do. So um, there's different ways of approaching what you're going to do during the week. And then you've also got this variation in when you're going to apply your overload so what I traditionally was exposed to coming up in football was a one-day overload model. So we do our overload on match day minus four, which would be a Tuesday. Then we'd have the next day off to promote recovery. And then we'd work more on technical technical preparation as, as we went later on into the week. Um, and then you can apply this single model, like I said, on a Tuesday. And then I think the uh, Heinen, has a model where he promotes it on match day minus three, so it builds up like a, a pyramid scheme. So there's different days that you can do that single overload on. But then came along tactical periodization that I've uh, already mentioned. Now, tactical periodization came along with this theory that you could actually apply an overload on match day minus four and three. And you can do that by working on different energy systems and different neuromuscular properties on the different days. So the, the, the classical system is promoting a last day minus four. You're going to do more your small sided day or what you term your strength day. So that's going to be in small areas. You're going to be working more on acceleration and deceleration, which is going to work. More on your quads, um, your glutes, it's gonna work more on your tenderness and joint structures because there's a lot of stretch shortening cycles going on. And then it's gonna work more on around your VO2 max energy systems. And then you go in the next day max max down minus three, you're gonna work on different properties by working on a larger area. Um, you're gonna have more high intensity distances, you're gonna be working more on your hamstring musculature, um, and you're going to be more lactate threshold into aerobic capacity type of adaptations. And that obviously blows the single system out of the water because what you're getting with that, you're getting far more overloads, You're getting far more training time. You don't have to periodize from week to week because you're getting different energy systems within the same week. So from that point of view, it's an absolute no brainer that you go with tactical periodization but as with everything it does have its disadvantages as well so people have taken that almost of accepted wisdom in terms of on your different days you're working on these different energy systems and different neuromuscular properties and therefore you can train hard on those both days but I don't think that's been proven at all. There's certainly no peer-reviewed evidence to support it. There's some empirical um, Mm -hmm. kind of common sense that goes with it. But I assure you, you're definitely not training distinct systems. So when you're, for example, on your larger-sided day, are you not using your uh, tendons? Well, if you're running at maximum velocity, You're definitely using your tendons. You're like a kangaroo. Your muscles are stiff and you're bouncing off them tendons massively. If you're doing a small-sided day and you're doing multidirectional decelerations, are your hamstrings not involved in that? Definitely, again, I can show you that you are. So I think these distinct fatiguing parameters, they do exist to an extent, but not entirely. And from that, can you truly apply a really good overload on both days. I'm not so sure you can over the rigours of the season and having so many games. So I think rather than trying a true, a true overload, you're just training moderately hard on both days. Uh, and because of that, are you optimally per- preparing? For the rigors of a match and what it also makes it more difficult to do is to put in the other different parameters of training so to put in things like speed training to put in strength training it's more difficult to do that following that model because you've got so much work already placed in there so in the classical model your match day minus two is called your speed day But for me, that's an absolute nonsense. There's no way you're doing a quality speed session after you've done your two hard endurance days back-to-back and then doing it on the next day. You might be able to do the odd acceleration, but you're not doing a true overloaded speed day. To put in strength training, so a good overloaded leg strength day, it's difficult to do in that uh, tactical periodization model. And that's where... The disadvantages of the tactical periodization is really the strength of the single load model. So it's a lot easier to apply a good overload on that single day. It's a lot easier to put in kind of strength training and speed training within that model if, if that's important. So really, there's no holy grail. One way is definitely not the best way. You've got to say what's important to you. Uh, So if you're really about physical training, I think the single load model where you can do strength training and good speed training might be more prevalent. But if you're really all about the coaches, getting the lads on the field, you're about drilling them, really working with your players in a technical and tactical parameter, then it stands to reason that the tactical periodization model is is going to be much better. But so... Which one do you pick? I, I, I would like to hang my hat on, on one. I think if you look at the truly great managers at the moment, the likes of Pep, the likes of Klopp, Potichino, I think you've got to put Brendan Rodgers in that uh, mould now as well. They use some element of tactical periodization. So from that, you would favour that. But again, if you looked at the huge overachieved Achievers in my generation, the likes of your Leicesters, the likes of your Burnleys, I think you've got to throw Sheffield United into that. They're all using a single load model. So, like I said, it goes back to the advantages and disadvantages of both models and you've got to choose what's right with your philosophies for your club and all the things, the different parameters around your club.
0: So we're just going to give a very quick break in the chat with Tom, hope you're enjoying part 1. So over in part 2 we discuss tactical periodization and we also discuss more around skill based conditioning and finally with colour fit. So hope you're enjoying part 1. So before we do get into part 2, just want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So, Black Box Fitness are a performance gym equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for some additional bits for your facility, whether it's dumbbells, barbells, um, and anything in between, or you're lucky enough to have some budget and are looking to expand your facility and you want a full gym fit out, definitely consider the guys at Black Box. So a lot of their equipment is manufactured on site in Belfast, which should give you confidence should anything go wrong, or should you want any customization the guys are right there to um, to help. So if you're interested in having a look at some of their recent projects, head over to their Instagram or Twitter, which are both at blkboxfitness. You can see some uh, some recent projects in Sydney, in Ireland, uh, also in the UK. To um, to give you some confidence, that these guys are doing some really really awesome things. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So, Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force-plate testing system. So, the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So, you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. Head over to the website uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com um, which you can do I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on twitter at hawkingdynamics. how does tactical periodization fit into a weekly structure where you've got a saturday tuesday saturday
1: i, I don't think it does okay. i just think you've got okay. you've got your two your big loads in there which are your games and like we talked about before everything is within those 48 hour windows pre and post game when it comes to your training days so you're either always going to be post 48 hours from a game or within 48 hours of a game so you're typically looking at recovery and like i said at the beginning you can have something that's intense or you could have something that's voluminous you are not going to put both together and typically what you will see is more intense training so you want the lads sharp so the day before a game you'll still do sharp time training but it'll be done with a a, in a very refined and restricted volume so you're not getting a large overall training load effect
0: so what what model have you gone with at preston And this is obviously not solely based on your decision. And feel free to say I'm not telling you because we don't want to discuss that. But obviously it's not just your decision, it's everyone involved decision.
1: Yeah, well, we try to be smart artists and try to do both. (laughs) So our our thinking was, right, well, let's get the best of both worlds. And we were going to do alternate weeks. So the first week would be along the tactical periodization model because our gaffer, really likes working the players and he, and he has a huge technical and tactical emphasis on his training. But then the next week, we thought for two reasons, we wanted to get have that big loading session, so to get players more used and, and, and to the volumes of the game, and also we thought we'd have a big training. effect. but the big reason for it was we wanted regular reserve minutes matches and also be able to do some tactical plays so I have enough players ready to go on Thursday so we always had our reserve games on a Tuesday and then those players would then be available to do some tactical training for the whole group on the Thursday and that was the main reason because we wanted that regular um, match type exposure for our non-starters but we still wanted to work on tactics on match day minus two that was the reason the main reason why we went with the single load model on the alternate week as this season has started though we've There was that many games that we kind of just fell into the model of having Wednesdays off, so the single-loading structure. And because we started the season so well, we had so few injuries, we just kind of stuck with it. We thought, do we want to kind of gamble and put the tactical periodization in there? So we've ended up just really pretty much sticking to um, a single-load model. And again, that refers back to it's the... um, the competition structure is so important for what you use. So we had that many games going on that we just kind of fell into that single load structure, and it worked really well.
0: So, do you have Sundays off regardless if you had a match on a
1: Saturday? No. Um, if we we're in our, if we've got a game on Tuesday, we'd be in, so we'd have a worn down protocol to follow. If it's a single match week, we'd have Sundays off.
0: So, if it's, if it's single match week, you'd have Sundays and Wednesdays normally, or yes. that's the model that you've fallen into. If, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you've got a magic yeah, that's a model. Yourself, and, and you
1: do see quite a lot of people bring them in the next day and then um, have the Monday off. And there's two reasons I kind of try and stay away from that. One of them is massively selfish, but I want to see my kids. I want to see my family when they're off. So an entirely right, so selfish the, yeah. point of view, I will kind of recommend his sunday's off from that but I also think if you look at the all the studies on recovery your your, your recovery markers certainly in terms of performance and uh, biomarkers they're having greater recovery on the second day rather than the first day so i'd say it's safer to come in and do some training on that second day more than it is on the first day so there's two reasons that I'd kind of um, promote being off on the Sunday and in on the Monday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what does that Monday look like?
0: Is it? Do you term it as secondary recovery or is it just a normal training day?
1: Yeah, it's secondary recovery. So typically our starters would either go out and do a, some light load training, so it would be things like passing drills, possession in fairly moderate time possessions, uh, rondos and the likes, and they would then go in and reco- um, go through a recovery protocol, off-feet it, while the non-starters would go in and do some level of top-up training um, to try and make up for not being involved in the game. Excellent. Well, I think now would
0: be a good time to transition into the fit chat. Would that be all right? Of course, mate. Let's do let's do that because I'm I'm fascinated to. Uh, I know we've spoken about this across pretty much across the whole journey. Not well, not far off anyway. So I'm I'm really excited to get this out there and just get this this journey um, kind of put on the put on the table because I think it's a really cool one. I really admire you and and anyone that goes through this journey of an idea and actually putting it together and then starting to sell it, get it out there, and then progress like you've done. So color fit. What was the, what was the, what was the, where the start of the journey, what was the, what was the purpose of it from the, uh, from the get go?
1: I'd always kind of had a big interest in nutrition. Um, I like kind of the biochemistry side of it and the biophysiology side of it. And on a personal level, kind of when I was coming out of my hedonistic, bulletproof early 20s, <laughs> I really started to gain appreciation of how much better nutrition affected myself. So kind of. My energy, my mood, certainly my resilience to illness and injuries. I it's when I was having a better, more healthy diet, how much better that was. And obviously, as a head of a department, you have the overall kind of um, ultimate responsibility for nutrition, even if, when you're hiring nutritionists to come in and help you the book kind of stops with you. And I learned the hard way, unfortunately, early on, that if there's no quicker way to a P45 than if a new manager comes in and you've got a few tubby lads sitting in your spot when you <laughs> get So I, I, I always placed a lot of resources towards nutrition. So I do things like the usual. We do lots of presentations. We put posters up around the place. We do cooking lessons. Even take them out shopping despite, like, throwing all these resources at it, it when we sat the, down, the players down and asked them, actually, what are you eating now? It was still just crap. And I was so angry, I just wanted to kill the little bastards. <laughs> so uh, I was literally chasing them around the room on multiple occasions and I just thought, I've got to do something about this. So I, I set about kind of problem solving, what the main issues around nutrition and the first thing that we found it, we just had to make it more simple. So nutrition can be confusing, and, and the level we were trying to simplify it at the time, it was just they oversimplified it at their level. So it's just very simple carbs or cereals and pastas and things like that, or just switching to just your basic protein. And health was missing when we were trying to teach them about carb periodization and, and things like that. So. We just thought, what is the easiest way to get them to choose the the correct type of meals and nutrition? And we thought we need to make it as intuitive and possible. So if we could relate meals to the goals of nutrition, that is a really easy way of make it as intuitive. So we thought, right, we went with what are the main goals of nutrition? And we went with performance, we went with body competition and health. So we thought, can we break down meals into those three factors? so performance was pretty easy we thought we'd throw carbs at that because obviously carbs provide energy at the most efficient and fastest rate and very important for intermittent uh, field sports like our own so we thought right we'll call carbs we'll call them active performance because it relates to being active and it no sorry we called it active fuel so because it relates to being active and it's about fueling that your performance that was a, a term that was used wi- widely out there already We'd color the green for go, and then we put this running icon at that to make it all intuitive. Next, we have protein. Protein was a bit more difficult because it has a dichotomy of uh, influences, but we decided to call that lean muscle. So protein helps you be lean or lose weight through it. It has the net lowest calories by the time you've digested it because it's through the thermogenic effect. It has high-sciety. It has an effect on your metabolism, which is all good for staying lean. And also the muscle side of it. We know proteins obviously help repair and build muscle. So we called that part of it, the body composition, more lean muscle. And we had like a six-pack icon, and we could give it a red color for your burning metabolism. And then finally, we had health. Health is a bit complex to do objectively and there was nothing out there doing it but we found a way of um, analyzing all our meals and taking all the elements that are important to nutrition so all your vitamins minerals your fibers your healthy fats and we quantify that into what we call the health score and then we can put that into health and we got colored it gold for the golden glow of health had a heart with that so that was a formation of what we called the cover fit plate so it had different colors different icons that represented how much of a meal represented those different food goals we also knew that calories were important so we added this thing called the calorie load and that works like a bit a speed dial it's not the best way to do this you need a bit of a picture rather than just an audio yeah, description it's good but Sorry. basically as coincidence would have it that all put together looked exactly like a plate so we called it the colour fit plate and very easily people could recognize whether that meal was going to be appropriate for their goals and all we do with the our players we keep it super simple we say if you're training hard or you're coming up to a match you're looking for more green and active fuel you're looking for slightly higher calorie loads And when you're not training hard at rest days, you're looking for more red and yellow and you're looking for more moderate calorie loads. And that way you're getting the holy grail of nutrition. You're going to be fueled for performance, so you'll maximise your performance capacity. You're also going to stay lean and you're also going to stay healthy. So that seemed to work really well. The next stage of it was the practical. You got to keep things super practical and that's a lot of the downfall when it comes down to nutrition because a lot of footballers they've gone through the academy structure where they basically had their arses wiped for them everything's done for them then they get to 18 and bang they're thrown out there in the bid wide world defending them for themselves a lot of these cat 1 clubs they might be uh, put to a completely foreign environment and they're living on their own and they just haven't got these practical skills so we thought right we need to build a, ma- a meal library of meals that are really simple to make and they've got to have a health or performance aspect to them and we thought the thing that really helped if we, if we could make uh, video demonstrations for all of them and that was kind of that was a real turning point where we thought bloody hell we might have something here because the lads were so receptive to it from that point whether you could actually see the video and thought well actually it's not that hard I'm willing to give that a go so that was a turning point where we thought with colour fit, we might have something that uh, got some legs here. The final part that we wanted to solve was to be evidence-based. So nutrition is notorious pseudoscience. There's lots of gurus out there on her social media. So we wanted really wanted to be evidence-based in our approach. So we made sure all our meals, we provided full nutritional analysis and we built these other branches to colour fit where we always wanted to present. An evidence base through a kind of a video rationale or presenting peer-reviewed research or international position stands. So we have things like meal builders, which is trying to teach you how to do loads of different types of meals. So things like overnight oats, salads, tray roasts, all kind of similar meals but how to build them within your food goals so we provide a video rationale on that we've got lots of different meal plans for different sports training plans different goals again we provide a vision video rationale of why these meal plans have been built in a certain parameter and we've got a huge education section with lots of infographics and info videos in there where again we will show off so it's the info video. When we say something, we'll flash up the peer-reviewed research so they know it's cred- credible information. Without boring them with the detailed information, they know what we're saying. That's very credible and very up-to-date. So we built that up. And initially, we just did it on Google Drive uh, because that's all I kind of had the resources to do, certainly within Preston. And I spoke to quite a few of my pals within the performance world with it. The the interest was pretty staggering, to be honest. Um, But I certainly know it was limited within um, Google Drive. So I, I sought out to get a partner and I was lucky enough to partner with this corporate wellbeing company called Hero Wellbeing. And they give me some of the digital armory and the the business acumen to take it onto the next stage. And we've got to the level now where we just about release phase two of the web-based app. And it's come on a lot now. So we've got, um, the main bit is the meal library, but we've got over 400 meals to choose from. We've got like, we can provide this detailed nutrition analysis on there, all the videos got features like shopping list on there we've also we've got lots of meal filters built in as well so you can like likes and uh, different goals so you can very quickly find the appropriate meals uh, on top of the colour fit plate we've also got a meal prep partner now so you don't just have to make the meals you can actually order them that's a fantastic company called balance meals um so with our system, you have the advantage of being able to order any type of meal. So sometimes with a meal prep, you're restricted to a certain type of meal. So it might be just for losing weight or just for gaining muscle. So with using our system, they can still periodize the nutrition with meal prep and they get the better nutrition information and the colour fit plates associated with them. And our customers get a nice discount. We've just started our own personal chef in arm as well. So, that's for the, the kind of elite end that wants something that's highly individualized, but with that kind of fine dining um, experience associated with it. We've managed to add our own meal database, which is fantastic on uh, two fronts. So, the meal database we've gone for, it's cost a bloody fortune and it's been about <laughs> ages to get it, but it, it's Kind of a brand leading one. So all the data that's on it is really valid. So anyone can put the data in MyFitnessPal. So sometimes the validity of what you're seeing is not always spot on. It's international based, it's restaurants, it's groceries. So you can pretty much find dead easily all the foods that you're going to consume. The great thing with that, though, is you can also use it as a meal planner. So you can use it as a meal planner for whatever eventuality you want. You could do it for a day, you could do it for a week, you could do it for a month. You might just do it for your pre-match meal. And what we can also provide is administrative access. So, So for example, a nutritionist or a, the head of snc they can go on anybody's system within their framework so for example man city have just bought it they could go on their nutritionist to go with any of their players within their system and then write them meal plans or look at the 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 food database that people been uh, building up and add comments to that or change that so that's going to be really powerful and empowering the end users So that's really been great. And then the final cherry on the top, we've got full branding on the system now. So we can give it club colours, we can call it whatever they want. We can put specific modules that they want or take them out and add specific content. So it's come on a, a long, long way now. So I'm excited to see how it goes in the new year and in the new year as well it's going to be available on the App Store and in Google Play so hopefully that will be a big buy-in when it comes to players just being able to do it in a nice, simple, single step
0: Nice Well, I remember sitting down at your training ground and going through the Google Drive I don't know how long ago that was probably three years ago maybe so Yeah, it's about come a years long ago way. Yeah, two years ago Good work yeah.
1: Great work, mate. And (laughs) I'm thankful I've done it, but things like this side hustles do come with consequences. They come with family consequences. Obviously, work. I've not slept pretty much (laughs) for two years and various other things that you have to sacrifice within your social life. But hopefully it'll open up other chapters in my life. It certainly opened up a huge network to peers that I really admire. Um and gives you flexibility in a career path that can be unstable as we all know so hopefully it will come off but it's not been easy let me tell you
0: yeah but bet so where can people find more information on ColorFit pre-app
1: well you can follow me on social media so at colourfoot Colour underscore fit is my uh, social handle on Insta and um, Twitter, so you can follow me on there, and I I do quite a bit on LinkedIn as well. There's a website site, which is www.colour-fit.com, so they can have a look on there, or they, they can just contact me directly. I'm sure you'll leave my details on there, so I'm happy to receive any emails or phone calls, happy to speak to anyone to discuss anything really that we've covered in this um podcast doesn't have to be related to color fit
0: excellent and i was going to ask you about game changers but that could that could take us another hour so what i'm going to do <laughs> is <laughs> what i'm going to do is forward people on to the article that you did with uh with simon at training ground guru because i've got to got on my phone here so just put um tom little uh game changers that brings it up um it's a great article good good work on that as well
1: Thanks, mate. When I wrote it about my cat and my mum had read it and then Simon got involved with Training Ground Guru yeah. and it bloody exploded. I woke up, <laughs> I go to bed early these days and I woke up in the morning I wonder what the hell had happened. So big thanks to Simon and Training Ground Guru. But uh, quickly, like, on Game Changers, just want to say I just feel it was yeah. a, a wasted opportunity um, because they could have just done it in a in a manner that d- didn't have this bad lash because yeah basically the not, everyone eating more plant based food it's going to be great for everyone it's going to be so good for most people and and so uh, good for the environment as well and it could have just been done in a manner that was didn't have this bad lash and then really help people to to take up a plant-based diet more rather than just scaremongering and hammering home that point to the nth degree where it just went into misinformation and outright bullshit in the end. And they're just been so much better just saying these are this is the credible information regarding plant-based diet. Here are these unbelievable athletes that back up what we're saying and show you can perform to your ultimate levels through a vegan diet and and then just shown how people what are the appropriate ways and how people can best adapt their diet to have a plant-based approach for uh, the long term but instead they've just gone like just talk crap like saying well Vegan sources are more complete protein sources. So eat a bean burrito when you're gonna be shagging like a rock star. It's just <laughs> ah, yeah it's just painful some of it. But have they accomplished what they set out to with the ultimate aim of changing people um, to a plant based way or a vegan way? Uh, they have at the population level, but I just think they could have done it in a much more credible and beneficial to people
0: manner mm. I agree I absolutely agree it's one of them ones where they've they've created this hysteria by doing it the way they've done done it and that's why they did the way they did it because it does create this hysteria there's there's probably more people visiting the guy's website than ever than he could have ever imagined and he's going on he's on Joe Rogan podcast he's on every. he's, every, he's everywhere if he'd done it in a way that we all would have hoped maybe we wouldn't have he wouldn't have been as famous as he is. And yeah. I suppose that's where we're living,
1: isn't
0: it? Fairmongering
1: is a very powerful marketing tool. It's powerful. Oh, you look at it's Brexit, right. you look at Trump getting yeah. in and things like that. It's 100%. ultimately powerful, but it is. It's negative and you, you can yeah. stick to positive and you can focus on how to genuinely help people a lot more and then you get the outcome that everybody's after. So a wasted opportunity, unfortunately.
0: Yes. But definitely give um Tom Zykel on Training Ground Guru a read and hopefully get his phone buzzing again on the on the on Twitter and he can <laughs> wonder what's going on. Wonder if the world's ended. But anyway, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I know you've given your Twitter handles already. So that's a good call, preempted that for me. But yeah, really appreciate it. And um thanks for giving us the insights about what you're doing at, at Preston and
1: obviously the work the amazing work you've done with ColourFit. So thanks a lot, mate. No, thank you, mate. I'm really appreciative of coming on and keep up the good work, pal.
0: Appreciate it. Have a good night. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 273 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Tom for giving up his time during a busy Christmas schedule and uh, and fitting me into his diary. Also, big thanks to the sponsors of today's episode Kitman Labs, Black Box Fitness, I Measure You, and Hawking Dynamics. So I'm wishing you a very happy New Year, and I hope those out there in sport world, in the applied sport world, um, got the result they wanted. Obviously, that can't apply to uh, that can't happen to everyone, but I hope um, I hope the results have been favourable this holiday season. So thanks a lot for tuning in, and I will speak to you next week.